What a great privilege to worship God and now get into the Word of God. Please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to read verses 15 through 22 and please stand with me as we read God's Word. You know, last week we saw in Hebrews 9, 1 through 14 that it is possible to live with a clear conscience because of the blood of Jesus. And this this same thought will be followed up on today. Hebrews 9 and verse 15. For this reason he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, but it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We pray you would open our eyes this day that we would see wonderful things in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The concept of sacrifice and shedding blood... To satisfy a requirement that God made seems very primitive and out of date today. It reminds us of violent things like murder and war. Not exactly your positive, life-affirming messages. But how can we talk of the slaughter of animals and the new covenant in Christ in an age where we watch movies that when when the credits roll you see the line, no animals were harmed during filming. How do we talk of this? It doesn't seem so positive or life-affirming to speak of blood and of death. But God's purpose for it is just that, positive and life-affirming. We want to talk today about the significance of blood. I am squeamish around blood. I cannot watch while they take blood out of my arm. I've got to look away. Brace myself. I would not do well as a medical doctor. I would be probably passing out all the time because I am so squeamish around blood. But we want to talk today about the significance of blood and what God wants to communicate to us through that idea. Why was it necessary for the Messiah to die? Why do we who have put our hope in Christ rest in the fact that he has shed his blood and died for us? Now there are two interrelated ideas in in our passage for today that I want to address. First, it's how the death of Christ frees us from sin. And the second is this, how the blood of Christ secures forgiveness of sin. And they're interrelated, they're connected. But first, the death of Christ and how it secures freedom from sin. Just this past week, we celebrated Independence Day, July 4th. We remembered 
the deaths of many soldiers, many American soldiers to free us from tyranny. Paid a price for us to secure freedom for us. And many soldiers have done likewise through the years. Securing freedom. Verse 15 starts like this. It says, for this reason. So you've got to ask, what reason? Well, we've been looking through Hebrews now for 20 weeks. So we know the reason. And we know the reason is because Christ has appeared. Just like verse 14 said from last week. Christ has appeared and he is able to cleanse our conscience. He is able to cleanse our conscience from dead works so that we would serve the living God. When we come to faith in Christ. And it's because Christ died for us. Now I want to make several observations about the death of Christ. It was a sacrificial death. The death of Christ that secured freedom for us was a sacrificial one. In verse 19 we read that when he appeared, how much more will his blood, much better than the sacrificial blood of boats and, and, excuse me, I knew I was going to say bolts and gulls, bulls and goats, the sacrificial blood of bulls and goats could never do what Jesus' blood did when he sacrificed himself and he removed our guilt and reconciled us to God. So it's sacrificial, but it's also substitutionary. It is substitutionary. He died in our place, taking the punishment for our sin on the cross. A death has taken place. Verse 15 says he is the mediator of a new covenant because a death has taken place. Someone has died. So he is the mediator of this new covenant. It's already been shown, we've seen it in Hebrews 7.22 and 8 verse 6, that Jesus was both the guarantee and the mediator of the better covenant. And a mediator, as we have learned, is someone who brings two parties together. In fact, the mediator represents two parties, two different parties. To do this, Christ had to die. To mediate, Christ had to die. And the basis of his mediatorship is his substitutionary death in our place, when he took our place. And the whole idea of someone having to die to pay for sin can be quite confusing. You've got to ask the question, why? Why do they have to die for the sin? Let me try to explain. The old covenant that we've been seeing so often in the book of Hebrews, the old covenant under Moses required the obedience of the people to God. The people had to obey to be blessed. If they did not obey, they would be cursed. Now, they had to fulfill this law or they would be condemned. Now, when God gave his, gave his commandments, here's what the people said. All that the Lord has said, we will do. That was their intention. The intention of their hearts. And again, if they didn't obey, the, co- the commandment demanded, the covenant demanded punishment for that sin. Now, we can understand this better by remembering a ceremony that happened on two mountains in Samaria. Uh, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And you might remember this, that there was a ceremony that happened where all the people gathered to hear what God had said. All the people gathered to hear God's word. And so... On Mount Ebal, they read the curses for disobedience. And they went down the line. The curse for idolatry, the curse for adultery, the curse for false witness, the curse for murder, and so on and so forth. 
Now, Deuteron- this is in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. Deuteronomy 27 26 concludes like this. Cursed is everyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. He had to obey. The people said, amen, let it be. This is the way we want it. Now, on the other mountain, Mount Gerizim, they read the blessings for obedience. Blessings would come to them if they obeyed God's law. And here's the type of blessings they would receive. Victory over their enemies. Plentiful crops. Abundant offspring. Things like that. Good things. And it ended with these words in Deuteronomy 28.9. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself. Holy to himself. As he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord and walk in his ways. So those were the conditions. If. Now the rest of the Old Testament story is how the people did not keep covenant with God. They did not obey. They got themselves in huge amounts of trouble. And there is a problem. They fell short of God's promised blessings. They weren't able to enter into the blessings. They instead uh, received the curse upon themselves. Cursed is everyone who does not follow. God gave them a conditional covenant. They broke the covenant. End of the story, right? No. Not end of the story. See, there was more to it. You see, there was another covenant that existed. And we've seen this before, but God's covenant with Abraham came before this and was still in effect. When God said to Abraham, and he swore by himself when he said this, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring throughout all your generations for an everlasting covenant. This would last forever and there were no conditions. No conditions. God alone guaranteed the fulfillment of his covenant and all the blessings that came along with it. Now later, Abraham's descendants were under the curse due to their sin, under the covenant law given through Moses, and so due to man's sin, a mediator was needed. See, if, if it was just the other way where there was no covenant with Abraham, let's just say it was the law of Moses, no need for a mediator. Case closed. The curse has come upon. But here, due to man's sin, a mediator was needed. So the question always, we always think of this. Why did God then bring in the law when he knew man was sinful and couldn't keep it? Why? My best answer is, OGK. Only God knows. But I'll tell you this. We know this. To show Our need for grace. To show our need for God's grace. See, our inability to do anything to bring ourselves to God. And and the people of Israel's inability to keep God's law made their guilty position before God all the more evident. All the more clear. So his only hope and our only hope would be to turn away from ourselves and look to another. Look to the grace of God in Christ. Turn to God's pardoning grace. Galatians speaks often of this situation. In fact, go to Galatians 3 for a moment. Galatians speaks so much 
of the law and what it could not do. And Galatians 3 In Galatians 3, and starting at verse 6, we read that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And he says, excuse me, I'm I'm in the wrong uh, book. Galatians 3, starting at verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. The promise of God to Abraham, justification by faith. And it says, therefore, be sure that those who are of faith are of sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. All the nations will be blessed in you. So those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And it says in verse 10, as many as are the works of the law are under a curse. Again, cursed is everyone who does not abide by everything written in the book of the law to perform them. No one is justified by the law. So you have to ask the question in verse 19, why the law then? We see right here the answer. It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. That seed was Christ. Christ's death was sacrificial. Christ's death was substitutionary. And Christ's death was also voluntary. He offered himself. But what was the law? The law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. The law was a custodian to show us our need for Jesus. And Jesus voluntarily offered himself in our place. Many of you offer your your time and, and talents and resources. You offer them volunteering here at Grace or in the community. And don't you receive a blessing when you volunteer? You are a blessing to the community, but also you are blessed as the volunteer. Think of Jesus voluntarily going to the cross. Jesus going to the cross, which is the basis of the new covenant, it gives a blessing to all Israel and to all God's people, to Jews and Gentiles, because Christ is the promise of God, the the fulfillment, fulfillment of that promise of God in his covenant to Abraham, when he said, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Verse 15 also tells us a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions. What is redemption? Redemption is the act of paying a price to free someone. Redemption is the act of paying the price to bring freedom. Christ's death brings us freedom from sin. In Romans chapter 3, we read about this redemption. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. We read these words. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been shown, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not the end of the verse. Then it says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus through the buying back, the act of him paying the price to free us. And that is in his blood. Points to this act of freeing, of releasing, of buying back something, paying a ransom. The price for mankind's sin was death. The wages of sin is death. 
And we were held captive. We were held hostage to sin. So Jesus paid the ransom for our souls through his own sacrifice. The transgressions are what makes the separation. The sin that separates us from God, from a holy God. And transgressions, this is where it gets a little interesting. It says, it was for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant. The transgressions that happened in the past. See, Christ's death is both retroactive and proactive. Christ's death is retroactive. It looked back to those who lived by faith before Christ came. It looked forward to us who would live by faith after Christ came. He died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Now the annual day of atonement that we have seen many times here in Hebrews, it looked back, looked back one year. It cleared out the sins that happened that you did for one year. Jesus' death clears out the sins that were done for all time for those who had faith in the promise of a coming Redeemer. And we said last week, all who have ever been saved were saved by grace through faith. Either saved by grace through faith in a coming Messiah or saved by grace through faith in a Messiah who has already appeared. As we do. It looked ahead to us. Proactively. He paid for our sins before they were ever committed. And this was all done that those who have been called. Verse 15 says may receive the promise of inheritance. Those who have been called. The first covenant as we know could not uh, remove guilt. Could not remove the penalty of sin. But there was a promise made beforehand. A promise made before the law. And all who were saved by grace through faith were saved that way because they trusted in the promises of God. Remember, Christ is called the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. Everyone who is saved is described as those who are called. God is effectually called sinners to himself. God is sovereign. We are responsible for our own sin. But by his grace, God works through our will to gain agreement of that will without violating human responsibility. And God calls us to faith in Christ and we respond. And at that time we receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. We become heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. We receive the life of God, guaranteed entrance into heaven, and an inheritance that 1 Peter 1.4 says is incorruptible. It is undefiled. It will not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for us. Now, in verses 16 and 17, we see why the death of Jesus was necessary. It's difficult following the argument here in English because we have to use two words in English for one word in Greek here, okay? There's one word in Greek that is translated covenant, and it also means will, and we've got to separate the two out a bit, all right? The Greek word has the overall statement of idea of settlement. Uh, Verse 16 says this, where a covenant is... That would be where a will is, where a testament is. Some of your Bibles will say will or testament. There of necessity must be the death of the one who made it. Verse 17, for a covenant or a will is valid only when men are dead. It's never enforced while the one who made it lives. So verse 15 says Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. And then verse 16 and 17, there is this testament, will, same Greek word. So it is a little bit confusing for us. 
But it has uh, the idea of a settlement that a covenant uh, graciously given by God to his people through which he brings them into a special relationship with himself. When we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus, we're talking about the fact that God has given us this covenant and brought us into a relationship with him. The idea of covenant is a sovereign gift of God's grace. Uh, It is God in his grace who gives and establishes this relationship that we enjoy. But now verse 16 and 17 talk about another kind of settlement, that of a last will and testament. Many of you might have one of those sitting in your safe deposit box. Uh, A last will and testament where property is given by an owner to people on the understanding that they do not have ownership until the giver dies. Some of you are, are uh, going to inherit what your parents um, have, but they are still living, and you will not inherit it until they pass on. Now, the nature of a testament or a, a will is that it anticipates death. It's a little bit morbid sounding, I know, but as long as the person's alive, they can change the stipulations. That's why some of you are really nice to your relatives while they're alive. No, uh, the idea that uh, you can change the stipulations. Just I can change the stipulations in my, my living trust. Go down there tomorrow and do that if I want. But once I'm gone, it's, it's in effect. All right? Now, the will takes effect at the time of death. Uh, that's when it is in force. The death of Christ makes the inheritance available to the believer. He had to die for us to get the inheritance. The last will and testament makes sense because he's talking about the eternal inheritance that believers receive. Now, generous inheritances are a wonderful blessing. And many of you have received generous inheritances and you are very thankful. Julius Caesar, going back in time a bit, he was killed by his opponents because they said he was too ambitious. They were jealous of him. He had a will. In his will, he left each Roman citizen two and a half months' wages. It was one quarter of his, of his treasure, of his uh, total worth and wealth, the rest of which he gave to his adopted son and heir, Octavius. But many gold coins flowed to the people from the wounds of Caesar. Uh, Caesar's enemies killed him, but when he died, they found the will and found that he had blessed the people. By the wounds of Christ, many, many souls are redeemed, not for just time, but for eternity, forever. How much greater is our inheritance in Christ? We look forward to earthly inheritances, but we have right now, Right now, our inheritance in Christ, because Christ has died to bring that in. How much greater? Now, in human relationships, the mediator of a will would not also be the executor of the will. But with Jesus, analogies from ordinary life really break down when you talk about him who rose again from the dead and personally secured for his people all the benefits of what he had promised. So Jesus is the maker and the mediator and the executor of his will all in one. All in one. 
Now, the use of the idea uh, of, of a will was uh, part of Roman law. We know it from our society today. But what it illustrates is the absolute security that comes from the death of Christ on our behalf. And it highlights this unilateral nature of God's covenant to us. That he made it, he will keep it. So Christ's death frees us from sin. Frees us. Now it frees us from the power and the penalty of sin. Even though many of us still walk into sin and get caught by its power. Now there's a second idea that's related to this first idea. That of the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ securing forgiveness. William Cowper's famous hymn goes like this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. See, Hebrews 9 is celebrating the superiority of the blood of Christ. We don't like to talk about blood. Hey, what if somebody made you a really good meal? They wanted to do you a really uh, special favor and they wanted to make you a beautiful meal or your favorite dessert. But what if they went to all the trouble of buying the ingredients, preparing the meal or or the dessert, and they presented it to you and they had left out one huge ingredient, like sugar in your cookies or the beef in the hamburger. It, it just wouldn't taste the same, would it? Well, I've heard a lot of gospel presentations that leave out some very important details, some very important ingredients. Blood. You can't leave the blood out when you speak of Jesus. Here, I've heard gospel presentations like this. God loves you so much That he has made a way for you to be with him forever. And all you need to do is believe in Jesus. Now that's true, but we're leaving out some important ingredients here. Like, why do you need a savior? Oh, because your sin separates you from God. And there is no way in the universe that you will get to heaven unless you come through the savior. Who is the way and the truth and the life. And, and one other little thing. And uh, what did Jesus do to pay for that sin? Oh, he shed his blood. You see, Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Next time you're sharing your faith in Christ, this afternoon or tomorrow or this, sometime this week, don't leave out the blood. Don't leave out the sacrifice and the death of Jesus. It makes it, it makes the gospel what it is. The blood is absolutely necessary. This blood is superior because of Jesus' divine nature and his finished work of salvation. Uh, Verses 18 through 20 speak of the shedding of blood and illustrates the necessity of Christ's death. And it points to Leviticus 17.11, which gives the significance of blood. That mankind is both spiritual and physical. And God said the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life principle of a person operates through the organism of the body, through the blood. Now some think, and many commentators will say in this passage, that the blood signifies the life. That's not what it signifies here in this passage. It signifies the death. It signifies the death of Jesus for us. Verse 18 says, Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood, When every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, 
He took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, these instruments, to take the blood and sprinkle it on the people. They were bloody. It was messy. He he sprinkled both the book and the people. The book and the people sprinkled with blood. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant. This is the blood. And then in the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry, all with blood. Messy scene. Necessary symbolism. Necessary symbolism. See, verse 21 says, likewise, in the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and the vessels and all these things everything was sprinkled with blood and so then you you read in verse 22 that according to the law you could almost say everything is cleansed with blood now there were some exceptions water incense fire these were also used to purify but according to the law you could say almost everything is cleansed with blood and therefore without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sins no bloodshed no forgiveness Let's talk about forgiveness for a few minutes. We throw that word around a lot in Christian circles, don't we? I forgive you. Hey, I'm sorry. I forgive you. Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. I forgive you. And then we do that with our kids too. I forgive you. Please forgive me. But what does it really mean? Forgiveness is the state of being released. Now, redemption is paying a price for the release. And forgiveness is what redemption brings you into. The actual release takes place after the redemption price has been paid. The hostages are released. See, forgiveness is what redemption provides for us. Forgiveness or remissions of sin require the shedding of blood. The Greek word for forgiveness literally means to send away from. To send away from. When God forgives a sinner, he sends away from that person their sin. And along with it, the penalties and the guilt. That's why, like we talked about last week with living with a clear conscience, don't wallow in that guilt because that guilt is not from God. Now, conviction of the Holy Spirit is. And if you haven't taken care of confession, you need to do that. But if you've confessed and repented and forsaken of a sin and you've left it behind, Don't wallow in the guilt. It's not from God. The shedding of blood implies the death of a sacrificial substitute. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Now think about when Jesus instituted the Last Supper. The night in which he was betrayed. The night in which he was arrested. He said this. He lifted up the cup. And he said, he offered them the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant In my blood. One of the gospels even says, which is given for the remission of sins. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. For the remission of sins. The same words, blood, shedding, remission, forgiveness. They're used in in both Hebrews and also in the gospels for the Lord's Supper. It carries with it the idea of being pardoned. You know, presidents pardon offenders. And sometimes we think, why did they pardon them? He didn't deserve it. That's their prerogative. And sometimes Jesus pardons someone and we think, hmm, nah, they're not worth it either. They don't deserve that. They don't deserve to be forgiven. Remember what they did to me? 
See, when presidents pardon offenders, it won't be held against them in the court of law, but public opinion often holds it against people. Not in the sight of the powers that be, though. Similar with that spiritually. People may still hold things against us that we have done. But God does not. God does not. Forgiveness means, by the way, when we say we forgive each other, I forgive you, I am losing my grip on the chokehold around your neck. I'm going to stop choking you. Spiritually speaking, relationally speaking. I'm going to let it go. See, when Jesus forgives us, we're released. We're free. No more will he relate to us on the basis of that sin. No more will he throw that back in our face. Now, we do that all the time to people, don't we? We remember a sin and we let it flavor our thinking about that person. We remember a sin and we keep throwing it back at them. Husbands and wives are really good about this, aren't they? Except in, our, in Angela and me's relationship. But the rest of you, I'm sure you do this. You, you throw it back at each other's faces. That's not forgiveness. And I remember what I pray almost daily in the Lord's Prayer. I love the Lord's Prayer because I'm praying Scripture. The Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. There's something there. There's something there. Uh, we all need help, don't we? I need help. You need help. Every single living individual we know needs help. Under the law, we're all condemned. But God gave the law with Jesus Christ in mind. When, when, when David could pray in Psalm 51, cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He was thinking of the blood of Jesus. He didn't know his name, but he knew he was coming. Jesus, the Savior to the glory of God's wonderful grace, with the shedding of the blood of Jesus, there is forgiveness. Now, unless you have obeyed God's law without sin, and none of us have, then we need the blood of Jesus to be forgiven and loved by God. So if you're not there, here's what you must do. You must confess your sins to God. You must trust in Christ's saving work. And then you will be cleansed before God. You will be cleansed. You will be forgiven. You will be released. You will be free. The torment in your soul will be gone because of Jesus. Have you come to Jesus? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? It says salvation is a gift provided by God. A gift we receive by the new covenant in Jesus, and that's fellowship with God. If the people of Rome could celebrate two and a half months' wages because of a mortal man's will... What shall we say of the gift of Christ? What shall we say? In in terms of redemption, only Jesus could save us from what sin did to us. Sin puts us in a state of spiritual death. And in terms of forgiveness, only Jesus can cleanse us from what sin does to us. Because while we're here and until we're there, we will still sin. And we will still be in need of that continual cleansing that God gives. 1 John 1, nine. Oh wow, we throw that around. We call it the Christian's bar of soap, don't we? Don't we call it the Christian's bar of soap? I've heard it before. 
It's not a bar of soap. It is not a bar of soap. You got to read the verses around it, before and after. Start at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That points to a continual cleansing all the time. But in verse 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Walk in the light. See, blood cleanses, by the way. The blood flowing in your veins right now, it's cleansing stuff. But the blood of Jesus cleanses our souls. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you and thank you that your death, Lord Jesus, was purposeful. That you, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And in the act of you freeing us from sin, of redeeming us, you enable us to receive the blessings of your covenant this new standing we have in Christ, and we praise you for that. And this knowledge of being forgiven, Lord, enables us to be a blessing to others. Lord, we are in a continual state of forgiveness in Christ, which I know, Lord, compels us to live in light of that reality. Lord, because we're forgiven, because we're free, we don't want to go back to the old ways. Lord, we want to stay clean. Lord, cleanse us. Cleanse us continually so that we could walk in your light. And we thank you, Lord God. Thank you that the blood cleanses us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me. Since I brought up in my message that the, the Lord's Supper, I want to remind you that next Sunday night on the 15th, we have a communion service at 6 p.m. where we celebrate a meal together and we wash one another's feet, the men with the men, the women with the women, and then we uh, partake of the bread and the cup around the table. And I encourage you to put that on your calendar for next Sunday night at 6 p.m., the 15th. I want to remind you, too, that uh, we have a prayer, prayer meeting, and we actually pray. All we do at that meeting is pray every Wednesday, 6.30, in the conference room right in here. Everybody's welcome. And also, we'll, some of us will be up here to pray with anybody who needs prayer about anything, for anything. So God bless you all. Have a great day.